0: Hello, I'm Josh. Thank you so much for connecting with Grace Church this morning. Particularly if you're new or just dropping by, it's great to have you with us. Here at Grace Church, we love the Bible. We believe it's a book from God with transformational relevance. Through it, he shows us who he is and through it, he shapes not only our individual lives, but also our entire world. And recently, we've been looking through some of the Psalms the songbook of the Bible, and particularly looking at dealing with some of the emotions that life throws at us. Now, some psalms are comfortable and familiar. So the most famous psalm, 23, probably the most famous psalm in the world, is well known. And if you go on Etsy, you will see everything. Posters, postcards, fridge magnets, key rings, bags, you can even get an engraved pebble, with motivating phrases like, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want, he restores my soul. But if you look up today's psalm that we're going to look at, Psalm 83 on Etsy, you won't find much, because this is not the kind of psalm you write in calligraphy and put beautiful pastel colours around. Psalm 83 is an uncomfortable psalm. Instead of fluffy sheep and green pastures and still waters, there's gruesome battlefields and burning forests. Psalm 83 is full of curses on enemies, calling down harm, saying, God, please destroy these people. Why is this in the Bible? What do we do with it? How is it relevant? Well, we'll see today that actually, if this wasn't in the Bible, then our lives would be much less because of it. So let's dig in and have a look. Starts with a frustrated cry to God. Verse one. Oh God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O God see how your enemies growl how your foes rear their head it starts with the psalmist surrounded by his enemies they're growling snarling roaring animal aggression rippling through their teeth are clenched muscles tight ready to pounce going for the kill uh, they're rolling their necks you know in a movie where Uh, The big bad guy cracks his knuckle and rolls his neck just before he pummels the hero. That's what these people are doing. And God? God seems silent. The frustrated cry: oh God, don't remain silent. Don't stay on mute. Do something. Get involved. Sometimes God seems silent in our lives. The voices of the world around us are noisy, telling us we're worthless or not valuable. And although we know that God offers peace, his voice of reassurance and positivity is hard to hear. Sometimes God seems silent. When voices of shame and hurt are sounding loud, controlling our lives, although we know that God has a plan for our lives. Sometimes God seems silent. Opposition growls and snarls in this world. If you want to live as a Christian, you will face opposition. So maybe you avoid getting drunk because you know the destructive impact of alcohol, and people accuse you of being boring and no fun. You try to bring up your children in line with God and with this teaching and you're accused of being intolerant and backwards and brainwashing them. You try to live a sexually pure life and you're bombarded with advert after advert that objectifies other people. And globally, Christians face very severe opposition. In some countries, converting away from the state religion to Christianity can get you rejected and isolated by the community. And in fact, although it's not illegal to do that in the UK, there's people in this country, in Nottingham, who have faced similar experiences. Christians in Libya have to meet in secret for fear of being attacked. If even owning a Bible in North Korea can get you imprisoned or even killed. Opposition growls and snarls, and sometimes God seems silent. And injustice roars in our world. You just have to look at the news to see that. Just look at our world where there's been a a recent swell in recognition of the pain and the pervasiveness of racism. Political systems full of people who climb to power by treading on others. School closures that have impacted disadvantaged children the most. The negative impacts of lockdown felt most by the poor, those already struggling the most. Injustice roars and sometimes God seems silent. This is how the psalm goes on. Verse three. With cunning, they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name is remembered no more. With one mind, they plot together. They form an alliance against you. And then we're about to get a list of 10 names, 10 specific enemies that Israel is facing god knows the detail of our pain verse six the tents of edom and the ishmaelites of moab and the hagrites biblos Ammon and malek philistia with the people of tyre even assyria has joined them to reinforce lot's descendants to us these are strange distant names but what they show us is that god knows the details of the pain those were very real forces threatening the Israelites God knows the details and God knows the details of the pain in your life he knows the names of the people who oppose you he knows the specific words that have been said to you he knows the effort that it takes to do the right thing rather than the easy thing or the popular thing God knows the details of the pain and he knows the details of the pain in our world He knows the groups that are overlooked, the people who are unable to fight for themselves. He knows the misuse of power that goes on in secret. He knows the corruption that infiltrates every dimension of human existence, right from individual lives to international powers. God knows the details of the pain. And these enemies they are working together to wipe out Israel. They're plotting together. Behind the war room door, there's generals who are usually sending their armies against each other, but now they've formed an alliance. They're working together, sharing resources, drawing up joint strategies, coordinated attacks, and their aim, verse four, come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation, so that Israel's name is remembered no more. Their aim is to wipe out Israel. But notice what they called in verse two, your enemies talking to God. They're referred to as God's enemies. And again in verse five, with with one mind, they plot together, they form an alliance against you, against God. Because taking on God's people, means taking on God. God has chosen the nation of Israel. Generations earlier, the founder of the nation, Abraham, God said to him, I will take you and I will make you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And through you, all families on earth will be blessed. An attack on God's people is an attack on God's promise. An attack on God's people is an attack on God's purposes. An attack on God's people is an attack on the good of the whole world. If you take on God's people, you take on God. And these people writing this song get that. Notice they don't refer to themselves as I or we. They refer to themselves in verse three as your people, those you cherish. Do you know who you belong to? If you're a Christian, you belong to Christ. And Christ was part of Abraham's family, which means, as Galatians says, you're also part of Abraham's family. You are part of God's people. You are part of the people that God has chosen to be a blessing to the whole world. Which means you are not just an employer, you are an employer who belongs to the boss of bosses, the manager of managers, the king of kings. You are not just a parent. You are a parent who has been handpicked by your heavenly father and placed in your family. You're not just a 48 year old. You are a 48 year old who is treasured by God. You're not just a nameless face. You are known and loved by God. You are not a nobody. You are precious. You are chosen. You are gods. And this world belongs to God. You know, there's not a a battle between good and evil going on in this world. There's a battle between God and evil. And God is fighting on home territory because this is his world. And one day, this world will be blessed, as God has promised. One day. Wrong will be put right. Crime will be punished. Victims will be vindicated. And justice will be everywhere. Don't you long for that day? When you face opposition and injustice in the world, remember, God knows the detail of the pain. And you, if you're a Christian, belong to God. And this world belongs to God. Let's read on. And now we're getting into the curses. Are you ready? Verse nine. Do to them, and he's about to give a list of people that were defeated in the past and ask that God does the same to his current enemies. Do to them as you did to Midian, as you did to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who perished at Endor and became like dung on the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb and all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take possession of the pasture lands of God. He's saying, you destroyed people before, do it again. Now these people who are named here, to us again, they're just names, but to the people hearing this song, they know this is evidence of God's victory in the past. These are actually incidents from judges, which you can read about uh, in Israel's history. So the Midianites and the nobles and princes mentioned, They were a group of people who oppressed Israel for seven years. Every year at harvest time, they'd send in an army too big to count. They'd eat all the crops, destroy all the livestock. And the people of Israelites were forced to hide in caves. But God raised up a scared leader called Gideon, a tiny army of 300 men. And in the dead of night, they snuck out to the enemy's camp. They smashed some clay jars, they waved some burning torches, they blew trumpets, they shouted, and somehow God used a tiny group to defeat a huge army. Or uh, Sisera and Jabin were also mentioned. These guys were the commander and the king of the Canaanite army, and Judges says that they cruelly oppressed Israel for 20 years. They had 900 iron chariots, superior military technology. Yet God somehow... At the battle by Kishon River, used the inferior Israel army to defeat these strong opposing enemies. Sisera ran away and ends up with a tent peg hammered through his head and Jabin gets eliminated not long after. The psalmist is saying, God, you've done this in the past. You've destroyed your enemies. Do it again. And then he keeps going verse 13 make them my god like tumbleweed like chaff before the wind as fire consumes the forest or a flame sets the mountains ablaze so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm so first he says make them like tumbleweed now you think tumbleweed i think tumbleweed we probably go for wild west slightly awkward moment where the weed goes through and everyone dies of embarrassment but tumbleweed didn't have those connotations for an ancient israelite reading or singing this poem they would hear it as lord may my enemies crumble turn them to dust and then he piles up this language about fire and flame and burning do you remember the australian bushfires back in january you know, the ones we thought that we were going to be the defining event of 2020 didn't quite go to plan. Devastated Australia. Miles of countryside burning. The psalmist is saying, may my enemies burn. May they may they burn up with flames spread by violent winds so that the whole forest, whole mountain are burning and blazing with fire does this kind of stuff make you uncomfortable why is this in the bible makes me uncomfortable it it can seem a bit harsh it can make us ask why can't god just kind of let these people off or at least be a bit more lenient isn't god supposed to be loving how does that fit with this well the bible teaches that god acts against evil, against enemies, against oppressors because he is loving. He loves every single person in this world. And so he hates it when anyone is mistreated or overlooked or oppressed. He is just and he hates injustice and in fact for him to just sit by and watch would be unjust. That's the whole point of this psalm. It's saying, God, do something. If you are just, act. God is just, and that is a good thing, even though it sometimes makes us uncomfortable. But actually, lots of the time, we do kind of get this. We know that being just, and being uh, severe on evil is the right thing. So kids, when they watch a movie, you can see the satisfaction on their faces when the super villain falls into his own trap and gets blown up by his own explosives. There's something right about that. We feel a sense of what is right and what is wrong and what needs addressing when we're wronged or when people close to us are wronged, something surges inside us. And actually the reactions that have sweeped uh, America and our country show that there's something deep inside us that when we see injustice it makes us cry out that something is wrong and something needs to be done god is just he's just because he's loving and he's just because that's just that's just who he is so when you feel the frustration at the world that things aren't the way they should be that injustice is everywhere then let it out this whole song is letting out channeling that emotion to god saying god do something it's it's so blunt it's so raw it's so honest god can handle your prayers when you're feeling the frustrations of the world not being as it should be take them to god and let them out and there will be times and seasons where you feel those things strongly And there will also be times and seasons where you don't feel those as strongly as you want to. Still pray out those things then. You know, I found as I pray about a whole host of different issues, that it changes me. With issues that I know are on God's heart, but that sometimes I am aware of and other times I'm not. But when I sit myself down, And even though it's not necessarily an overflow, I I make myself pray those things. It starts to change me. I start to notice those things in the scriptures, that these are the things God cares about. I start to notice those things in the world and feel the weight of them a bit more. So pray out, whether you're feeling it and can just let it out to him, or whether you need to pray it in and say to God, break my heart for what breaks yours. psalmist goes on verse 16 cover their faces with shame lord so that they will seek your name may they ever be ashamed and dismayed may they perish in disgrace let them know that you whose name is the lord that you alone are the most high over all the earth he prays that the enemies would see themselves clearly that they would feel the shame Of realizing they're not as great as they think they are and they're wrong to be opposing this good God of justice. And he prays that they would know who God is, that he is the most high over all the earth, that he's the God who, when he makes a promise, will keep it. He's the God who, when he chooses a nation and says, through this nation I will bless the world, he will. Because that is exactly what happens. Through the years, Israel is opposed again and again. But against all odds, they survive as this small, weak nation. And then, generations later, an Israelite is born called Jesus, the Son of God. God become human. And through Jesus, the whole world will be blessed. Through Jesus, he will restore the world. Jesus is opposed throughout his life. Despite living so well and so good and so truthfully, he's constantly opposed. And then in the darkest day of human history, his enemies surround him, growling and snarling, saying, come on, let's destroy him. And they hang him on a cross to die. But God turns the darkest day of human history into the brightest day of hope. At the cross, God doesn't minimise or ignore everything wrong with the world. He wields the full weight of justice, but he takes the blow himself. Jesus takes the curse. Jesus dies on that cross like a soldier on a gruesome battlefield. Instead of a tent peg through his head, he gets nails through his hands and feet. Jesus takes the curse. He burns up like a devastating wildfire, destroying everything in its path. Jesus takes the curse so that we can be given his blessing. Jesus dies for us, his enemies, so that we can become his friends. Jesus invites us to be part of the new world that he is making. And not only does he stop us being part of the problem that just causes opposition and spreads injustice, but he also invites us to join in with him in renewing the world and spreading goodness and truth and justice. Jesus rose, ascended to heaven. And said to his followers, carry on the work I've started. And one day he will come back and finish that work. One day he will come back and once and for all complete the work of ridding this world of injustice. Ridding this world of opposition. Changing everything. You know, if you want to be part of that world, you can. Jesus invites us to join in with him. He's done everything that it needs and all we have to do is accept. So when you see the opposition snarling and growling, when you see injustice around you roaring in this world, remember, although God might seem silent, he never is. Because God has done something. When Jesus died and rose again, God will do something when Jesus comes back and finishes off the world he started. God will, is doing something now in the present. When we cry out, God do something, he says, I have done something, I will do something, I am doing something. And he says to us, join in, get involved in what I'm doing, and in the meantime, ask me, cry out to me to do something. Because God is the God who always does what he promises.